Welcome to the XEGS Cart by Cart podcast, the first and only podcast covering Atari's last answer to the 8-bit gaming system. In episode 3, we find out Choplifter will be an uplifting experience, and we break out the loop and peer into Crystal Castles to see if it's the cut above. Also, Kieran Hawken is back, but this time we'll be bringing some of that British class live to our little show. Now here are our three ex-egos, Bill, David, and Michael. Welcome to episode three of the XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Today's show will cover the shooter slash rescue game Choplifter and the You're a Bear Collecting Gems game Crystal Castles. But wait, there's more! If you've turned, tuned into our earlier episodes, you've heard audio submissions by Kieran Hawken, our UK correspondent. He's been kind enough to review so-called budget games for the Atari, which aren't as well known uh, here in North America, where Michael, David, and I reside. Uh, so this episode, we welcome to our show him to our show live. He'll be talking about the shoot 'em up Los Angeles SWAT, as in Special Weapons and Tactics. This is not another bug hunting game. And Yogi Bear and Friends in The Greed Monster, one of a series of games based on Hanna-Barbera cartoons. But first, the news. So, Kieran, what have you been up to? Um, lots, actually. I've been I've been pretty busy. I just literally last weekend it was it was my birthday, and I also did a a big um, retro gaming event here in Oxford um, in the UK, a place called Oxford, and uh, we had lots of Ataris. I had a on show there. I had my Zegs there and uh, an eight hundred XL, and we uh, spent sort of two and a half days uh, playing games and having a lot of fun. And uh, I'm doing my next show in July. So just wanted to give that a quick mention first. It's called Revival. It's going to be at um, the Bank Stadium in Walsall, which um, is also the home of Walsall Football Club. And uh, if you want to know more about that event, you can check out the Revival Facebook page or you can go to revivalretroevents.co.uk it's a huge event last year uh we did it a bit smaller um we're going back to a really big scale event again this year so um anyone who went to the um events at wolverhampton Racecourse um, will know what to expect there's going to be um a, again a big atari area um at the show um with me in charge of that in that part of the show uh also I should also mention um, a quick plug for my YouTube channel again. I've added um, lots more great um, Atari-related stuff on there. I've done uh, a few more episodes of um, Pokey Heroes, looking at people like uh, Lukas Siskiewicz, who was a really good Polish musician. I've got um, some stuff from Sal Esquivel, including I've uploaded the entire soundtrack for Tempest Extreme and the unreleased version of Outrun. So they're well worth a listen. Some outstanding pokey music on on those, and also some new episodes of my series Chiptune Challenge, which compares chip tunes from different formats against each other, so people can decide which one they think is the best. And some of the stuff I've covered recently includes Pitfall Two, International Karate, uh, and Deflector, where the pokey pretty much reigns supreme on those games. So they're well worth listening to. And just uh, another little bit of news. Uh, I'm currently working on a book about the Atari ST, which will be going to Kickstarter a bit later this year. There's still quite a bit of work to be done. <laughs> it's going to be called The Story of the Atari ST and Pixels. It's part of a series. We've already done um, books on the um, Spectrum and the Commodore 64, and this will be part of that series. 
and uh, it'll be covering lots of different games for the ST. It'll have interviews and all that sort of thing in it. And if that book goes well, we plan to follow it up with a book on the um, Atari 8-bit. Yay! So, yep, so uh, that's something we've already been asked to do. Literally, as soon as we announced the ST book, everyone was asking, what about the Atari 8-bit? So it's already in mind. So if you want to see what we're doing already, go to fusionretrobooks.com. And um, if you know, if you would do want to see the uh, Atari 8-bit book, um, send us a message on the Facebook page or on the uh, the website, and I'm sure the uh, the publishers will will listen. <laughs> cool. I'll have to check that out. I I love the ST and of course the 8 bits. Uh, but uh, it's amazing how many people are doing these Kickstarters and and just out of the blue, here comes a book for these old systems. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, Kieran, will uh, depending on how many people go for the Atari ST book, will that uh, have any um, determination on if the uh, Atari 8-bit uh, book will come out? Only a small bit. I mean, I'm I'm doing the writing on the ST book, the majority of it, not all of it, but I'm doing the majority of it. But the guy who um, is basically who owns Fusion Retro Books, who I'm working with, Chris Wilkins. He's done quite a lot of different books. He's a bit of an old hand at this, so he, he's got a, a really good track record of, of putting out these books. And uh, he's not the biggest Atari guy. He It's sort of a, a bit of an unknown domain for him, so he's not quite sure on the level of interest there is for Atari stuff. I've been trying to talk him round, so um, I'm working you tell on that him, bit. <laughs> did you tell him there's like, did you tell him there's like 16 8-bit podcasts? I did, yeah, I did. Okay, I think he, he actually was, he started looking around the groups on Facebook and he was actually quite surprised about how many people were were um, involved in the communities, you know. So um, it's, it's in, I've already planted the seed in his head. So, he, he, you know, he's trying to juggle a lot of things because he also wants to do an Amiga book and he wants to do an Amstrad one and a few other systems. So he's, he's trying to juggle which ones he's going to do next. But if enough people ask for atari 8-bit then um that will no doubt overtake some of the others uh are the other books that have been uh published prior are they still available for purchase all of them yeah okay yeah yeah from the websites you can take a look i think some of them have got previews as well so you can actually go and have a look at the previews and see sort of what they're about you mentioned that amiga book isn't the amiga 500 or the amiga 1000 really made by people who were all originally from atari J, yeah. J minor, uh, Joe DeCure, yeah, yeah. So really, it's like an Atari, it's really an Atari computer. The, yeah, they, the, they, they swapped around basically. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It was crazy. It's it's a difficult story to explain. No, I understand. Happened. The ST should have been a Commodore machine, and the Amiga should have been an Atari machine. Yep. And then those same designers who did the eight bit, and then they did the Amiga. They then designed the Lynx, which ended up Yay. being an Atari machine. <laughs> <laughs> So you can get an Amiga and feel okay about it. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I did. I brought my. I brought my eight bits and my links to the uh, the Amiga Thirty show. I was basically trying to show like the end cap on either side of the, uh, the Amiga there. So I want to thank uh, Rob O'Hara. He's the host of many podcasts like You Don't Know Flack and Sprite Castle, and our podcast is now a member of the Throwback Network. Rob does uh, many podcasts, and you can find out more by going to robohara.com. Did you um? Did you reach out to him, or did he discover us and, and invite us, or how did that work out? Do you, can you say? Yeah, sure, sure. No, I think what happened is uh, he's uh, one of my uh, friends on Facebook, hmm. so I think I mentioned it to him, and he said great, and he added us right away. Thank you, Rob. <clears throat> yes, thank you, Rob, and I and I do listen to Sprite Castle. 
yeah, we're we're among pretty good company uh, yes. in that network. So excellent. And now another person of note. His name is Glenn Planamento. Has tested the Ultimate Cart and found that it works on the Atari 400, 800 computers. And as far as I know, provided that the game itself doesn't require the memory capacity uh, that uh, 400 or 800 uh, maxes out at it, which I think is 48K, uh, it actually works. And he's got, uh, he also has a great YouTube channel by the same name. Uh, he recently uploaded videos about the Ultimate Cart modifying a TI-99-4A with the F-18 modification. And he has other interesting retro topics, so t- look him up on YouTube. Rob, who goes by Vector Gamer on Atari Age, is also a new listener of the show, and he has given us positive feedback on episode zero. Thanks, Rob. And he also has a YouTube channel called The Retrocade, and it does a lot of retro 8-bit game reviews, so there'll be a link to his channel in the show notes. And that's all. It was quite a couple, it was quite a couple of months for me, so uh, uh, Michael, like, uh, what were you up to? Well, I've been doing a lot of home repair and improvement, but since this is not that kind of podcast, I'll talk about going over to, uh, I went to the West Fest in uh, just south of Centralia, Washington for the TI-99. That was kind of fun. I think I spent more time driving than I did actually spending uh, time looking at stuff, but a lot of great guys there and they had a lot of cool stuff. I didn't win anything, unfortunately, but oh well. And uh, just on the, just for the looking up uh, prices on Shop Goodwill because I see that the prices are all over the board and I kind of want to get an idea of what things are actually worth. And I guess they're worth what people pay for them, but I kind of want to see what the kind of a, a, a common theme was. So I started writing this stuff down. I've been doing that for about two months, so or actually about a month. So we'll see what that turns up. But that's pretty much it. I've just been busy with other things. What about you, Bill? Oh, man, it goes on for like two pages, doesn't it? So let's see. A while back, I ordered a um, dust cover from Julie... Um, who runs a business called Little Darlings. She's the wife of James, a.k.a. Slore over on Atari Age. She's been making custom dust covers for an assortment of classic computers, including the Atari 8-bits. And she was even able to put one together for my cherished childhood Atari 1200XL. There are gaps for the controller and the video and SIO ports. So basically, I can just cover it up without having to unplug anything. And then when I, when I want to use it, I just uncover it and no dust. So it cost me about 30 bucks plus 6 for shipping. They're made of vinyl, come in a variety of colors, and you can have logos and text embroidered on them. I just got a simple Fuji on mine, and if you want to learn more, we'll have a link to the Badass Custom Dust Covers thread over on Atari Age. Let's see, a long time ago, I um, helped kickstart, speaking of kickstarting books, uh, the book Artcade, the book of classic arcade game artwork. And it's basically a coffee table book of really nice, cleaned up scans of the artwork from the, uh, the what do you call it, the marquee? No, the, uh, the top of arcade machines. Um, and it also includes some, some photos of modern live arcades and, and kind of cool angles, joysticks and stuff. Cost uh, $24.99 British pounds, which is about $36 last I checked. And it's from Bitmap Books in the UK. And Kieran mentions that he actually has a review of the book uh, over on YouTube. So I'll have a link to that. And then uh, let's see, uh, back in April, as I mentioned I was going to, uh, I took part in the Sacramento Indie Arcade with a couple of uh, fellow local Atarians, uh, Dan DeVrind and Marlon Bates. Plenty of 20-somethings dropped by because it was basically a, you know, a modern indie software development show, people exhibiting the stuff they're doing for like iPads and PCs and so forth. But also a lot of parents who came to show their little kids what the old games were like. One, one dad was wearing a uh, Pac-Man kill screen t-shirt, happened to start mentioning he needs a new SIO2 PC cable. I'm like, hey, you're an Atari guy. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, he's not local, but he was in town and happened to, to, to head over to this. 
So I had my uh, Ed Ladin uh, Twin Super 78 set up playing Robotron on both my uh, Atari 8-bit and my 7800, and that got a lot of action, and it uh, withstood the, uh, the beating that all the kids were giving it. So we'll have a link to uh, that event and some photos that uh, I put together over on my website. And uh, while I was there, um, one of my links was out um, being worked on by uh, Aaron Morris up in Washington. First time I met him, he actually came all the way down from Washington to help at my Atari party a couple years back. So he was actually able to put together the, uh, the McWill LCD upgrade for the, the Atari Lynx handheld and uh, also add a VGA port. And oh, man. It's gorgeous. So beautiful. <laughs> my, you know, between my eyes going and my capacitors going and that screen, that old 1989 era LCD screen, you know, back when laptops barely existed, it was just getting harder and harder to see. So this is just, it's night and day. And it's, it's really beautiful up on the big, I mean, it's blocky, obviously, but, you know, Atari 8-bit guy, I'm used to that. So it's, it's beautiful up on the, uh, my, my flat screen <laughs> LCD <laughs> at home. Pump, you know, crank my speakers up, my PC speakers up. Uh, Bill, um, uh, what, yeah. what, what would that, uh, for people who might be interested, what would that uh, generally cost? Oh, well, I got the works. I got a, I got a Xeno uh, Zener diode, uh, some new capacitors, the VGA out, the new screen, less than 200 total. Uh, and I think that included shipping it back and forth to them. So, but well worth it. Oh my God. Especially since I bring my links to the Atari parties and to other events and, and show it off. You know, it's nice to show people what the games actually looked like back then. Mm-hmm. You get a better idea of, of it if you can actually see the damn thing. So, yeah, great, great, <clears throat> great upgrade. Is there yeah. a, uh, is there some games that won't uh, play on the new upgrade? I heard that there's like a, they did some tricks with the old LCD to make games perform differently. And with this new upgrade, if there's a limitation, have you found that? Uh, not any any of the games I own. Um, okay. I I know that there were some games and some demos that did kind of the the flickery color trick that people do on the Atari eight bit. So okay. maybe that maybe that doesn't work as well, or maybe it doesn't look as good. I mean, yeah. it's the same thing like when you hook a an eight bit up to a modern LCD and it just all looks wonky because they're expecting you know HD TV and you're giving it nineteen seventy nine flickery stuff. So. Um, let's see. Speaking of Atari Party, I'm going to bring a bunch of this. Uh, my brother apparently had all of our Atari 2600 game manuals and the catalogs with my little scribblies all in them. I, I was lucky enough to have the system and all the games all this time. My God, like 20 plus years. But yeah, he was uh, he was emptying a uh, storage unit, and that was amongst the stuff he gave me. So it was really cool to actually have all my old, you know, game catalogs and, and manuals to to look over, not on the web. <laughs> Wow, what a um, find. Yeah. And then let's see. Oh, goodness. Um, the follow-up to the 2014 documentary, From Bedrooms to Billions, which uh, I'm sure Karen is familiar with. Uh, it was about the 1980, yeah, 1980s video game industry in the UK. The follow-up to that, called The Amiga Years, just came out. And uh, you guys, Atari people, will be interested because, as we mentioned, um, The Amiga is basically designed by a lot of the same people. The movie begins talking a lot about how the 2600 video works and how the Atari 8-bit works and included, you know, some clips of Chris Crawford dressed up as a pokey chip with a megaphone, you know, in his little instructional videos he did way back in the day. So <laughs> it was like, oh, my God, look at the Atari stuff. <laughs> Eventually it gets very deep into the Amiga again, like, you know, basically ends on, on Video Toaster and, and, you know, where that stuff was going. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great movie. It took me a couple sittings to watch it because I got kids, and it's like two and a half hours long. So, you know, I'd, I'd fold laundry and watch an hour of it, and then <laughs> a couple days later, watch more of it. But, yeah, definitely highly recommend it. Um, 
It's uh, available to stream on uh, Vimeo, I believe, right now. Um, you got to pay for it. Uh, there's also going to be DVDs, and that was also another thing that I uh, was smart enough to kickstart, I guess. Yay! Cool. And then finally, um, I've got an event coming up, my actual annual Atari party. It's going to be here in Davis, which is near Sacramento in uh, California. It's going to be on Saturday, July 30th. It's free, and we're going to have uh, an assortment of Ataris, uh, including a centipede uh, arcade cabinet. Um, we have also got some uh, giveaway prizes from friends like Ed Ladin. Uh, I actually just, what, yesterday, day before, received a, uh, a Super 78, not a twin, just a regular Super 78 um, in the mail. And I looked at it, took a photo, stuck it back in the box, and stuck it in the garage to bring to the show. Are you sure that uh, wasn't meant to come to me? No, 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 no. He 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 sent me a note on Facebook with a, with my address. <laughs> okay, okay. Because you know He's you like, might just look. mix up the postal code, zip code, and it went to the wrong person. And and the wrong country. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> I, I highly recommend those are especially the twin. If you ever play Robotron, the twin is is what you got to get. It's so nice. And let's see, Paul Westfall of uh, 8-Bit Fix uh, sent us a game cartridge. Kevin Savitz and the Antic Podcast sent us some books and a bunch of USBs full of their awesome interviews. And No Starch Press is going to send us some books as well. So check out Atari Party if you're anywhere near. Wow, you've been busy. I know, I've been busy. Um, (laughs) And I guess uh, uh, since since I'm talking, I'll go on to other news a little bit. Rob McMullen came back from his uh, coding-induced hiatus to post another Player Missile podcast, where he not only covers uh, the 1983 Atari Program Exchange and Atari Star award-winning game Getaway, but also interviews the author, uh, Mark Reed. He's also been working with Kevin Savitz on uh, hacking and updating Jumpman. And boy, let's see. I I wrote this a long time ago, and I'm sure it's already out of date, but uh, our friends over at Antic... Let's see, they interviewed two software pirates named Bob, uh, creators of two different versions of Defender, um, an editor and a columnist from Analog Magazine, authors of some Atari-related books from back in the 80s, uh, people from places like, you'll recognize the names, ICD, LucasArts, Series Software, CompuServe, and Genie. Spoiler, it's the same guy. A half dozen or so, it's probably a dozen or two at this rate, authors of Atari Program Exchange titles, a half dozen or so people who worked at Atari, the creator of Computerized Video Digitizer, which I had a lot of fun with as a teenager. I liked uh, Blake 7 and, uh, and Are You Being Served? And <laughs> I took a bunch of snaps of those, and I found those on floppy disks recently. <laughs> author of Max 65 Assembler, Assembler uh, authors of Fort Apocalypse, Popeye, Shadow World, Blue Max, uh, which we reviewed in our last episode, and other games. And David, yes, the guy who wrote Pitfall, Crane, um, who also helped. Uh, happen to help work on the Atari 8-bit uh, operating system. So if you're not listening to, uh, to Antic Podcast, um, you are missing out because there's a ton of stuff going on over there. And I mentioned Paul Westfall of 8-bit Fix, his Atari 8-bit repair and sales business. He's actually releasing games on cartridge. Mr. Do, which was originally a disc game, and Blaster, uh, which was just a prototype. Blaster's got a long story, basically by the, the folks who made Defender Robotron. So go go learn all about that. That's, a, that's an interesting 3D shooter game. He also has been selling part versions of the recent homebrew port of Space Harrier, uh, the classic Bruce Lee, and the unreleased 8-bit version of Midi Maze. And Kieran, you wanted to mention something here, huh? Yeah, just leading on from what you just uh, said about Mr. Do, um, just another uh, a little plug here that people might be interested in, is I've just actually finished work on an ultimate guide for Mr. Do, for Retro Gamer, which will be in the, I believe it's actually going to be in the next issue. So um, something to look out for if you read Retro Gamer, because it's going to be quite a bit about the um, the Atari 8-bit version in there. 
I did actually say it was the best version of the game in the article. So, uh, yay. And uh, I've also included an interview with the guy who coded the 2600 version. So if you're a fan of um, all things Atari, then that will be of of great interest as well. And uh, leading on from that, um, while I'm talking about Retro Gamer, um, Atari 8-bit fans will also be interested in the the latest issue, which um, actually came out last week. And uh, in there, I've done a big what we call an in-the-chair interview with um, Ed Freeze. And um, of those of you who, who maybe aren't familiar with Ed Freeze, he's best known for being the man who ran the games division of Microsoft for many, many years. A lot of people dub him the father of the Xbox because he was there when the whole Xbox came in, was the producer on games like Halo, so really big titles. But he started his career programming Atari 8-bit games. He had a game, a Space War clone published by APX and then did a few titles for Romox like Princess and the Frog, Sea Chase, Anteater, quite a few others. So um, it's, it's a really, really interesting interview. He went into really big detail about what he thinks about VR and uh, mobile gaming and, and indie games and, and basically where he thinks the whole industry is going. So um, I think, uh, you know, everyone who's sort of even interested in computers in any way will get a kick out of that interview. So he's a really interesting guy. Cool. Uh, so um, SpaceX just landed a rocket. This is there's, there's a point to this. So uh, they landed another one of their vertically landing crazy ass rockets. Elon Musk the founder of SpaceX, back when he was a teenager, he wrote, an, he wrote and I think sold commercially a, a game for the Commodore Amiga. So was it's it, really interesting. What's that? Was it the Amiga or 64? It, it was the 60. Amiga. It was oh, the okay. Amiga. Yeah, Elon Musk, Amiga. What does Google say here? Amiga. And the game was Blastar with an A. Oh. And it's basically a space shoot-em-up. But yeah, I mean, I don't know about humble beginnings, but that's definitely, it's, it's cool that, that geeks who are into this kind of stuff, you know, they often skyrocket in a really cool careers game one review let's begin reviewing Michael, tell us about Choplifter. All right, Choplifter. Well, Choplifter was published by Atari Corporation for the XEGS and originally was done by Broderbund Software. The year was 1988, but there was also an original version for the Atari made in 1982. The model number was RX8096. It's a shoot 'em up rescue game. The developer is Steve Aguirre from Sculptured Software. And then originally it was Dan Gorlin, and he also did it for the Apple II. So on the box of the XEGS, it says, Problems again. This time, the bunglings have nabbed 64 of our people. You've got to bring them back alive. Zoom your rescue chopper into enemy country. Test your reflexes and strategy skills as you dodge fighters and tanks. And there's no mention of the homing air mines. You've got so little time, and the hostages are desperate. Go for it. Single-player action, three perilous sorties, ground and air combat. On some of the other boxes, I've noticed there was a little more fleshed out in the story. The hostages are delegates for the United Nations Conference on Peace and Child Rearing. Uh, the Bungling Empire is located a few miles east of Patagonia, South America, and south of Kurdistan in the Middle East. So basically, I looked it up on the map. It's in the middle of Indian Ocean, and there's no island there. So, But maybe it's a tiny island. Uh, your helicopter was smuggled in disguised as a male sorting machine. So that's very interesting. What's the object game? 
Well, you got to rescue the 64 hostages and safely return to the base, which is actually uh, a post office. You want to avoid jet fighters, air-to-air missiles, tank shells, and homing air mines. Uh, um, I have to say, uh, can I interrupt for a sec. This yeah. game is a lot is a lot sillier on paper. <laughs> I played it on the Apple II, and I had no idea how goofy the story was. All right, sorry, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, it's definitely clever. Um, you get a total of three copters. If you get shot down, all the hostages on board will die. Uh, the helicopter allows three orientations, left, right, and forward-facing. And the forward-facing allows you to drop bombs on tanks. If you want to strafe, you have to be in left or right mode, and that is required to blow off the doors of the barracks to let the hostages out. Uh, your foreign score is determined by how many of the hostages you rescue. So um, at the top of the screen, on the left side, you have hostages lost. In the middle score, it's hostages inside the chopper. And on the right side, it's hostages rescued. Of course, I mentioned before, uh, your max total is 64. So we'll go back to, um, let me tell you a little bit about the development. Uh, Steve Aguirre, who is the person who created this, he also created a game called Fatal Run for the 2600 and 700 in 1990. Uh, Steve went on to develop several games, Mortal Kombat's 1, 2, and 3, Ren and Stimpy's Time Warp, Super Star Wars, just to name a few. And in the early to mid-90s, uh, his web presence is minimal, so I don't know what he's doing now. Uh, the, the game was originally done by uh, Dan Gorlin, and this was his actual first game. And at the time, Dan was working for the RAND Corporation doing artificial intelligence research. The game was originally created in six months on the Apple II due to boredom and a fascination with helicopters. And Dan's other job and passion is teaching traditional African music and culture. The Bungling Empire was also featured in two other games, Raid on Bungling Bay and Lone Runner. And the game was inspired by the Iran hostage crisis back in the 80s, and it probably helped the sales of the game. Well, that's what I thought. I thought I was saving hostages or POWs. Yeah, not delegates for child rearing. For child rearing. Child rearing. <laughs> uh, the ports, there's a ton of them. So uh, originally it was done on the Apple II. That was 1982. At the same time, 5200, the 8-bit Atari, and the C64, and the VIC-20. Then they did uh, the Clico version in 84, as well as the Sharp X1. Then 85 was the MSX, and then it also appeared in the arcades, and on the Sega SG-1000 in 86. I I was going to say, I I remember seeing the arcade game uh, at at a movie theater, and I'm like, whoa, what? I mean, it looks a lot better, but I had no idea this was an arcade game, and I eventually learned later that it was like a reverse port. It, it It was... quote pc first yeah arcade later which was very rare and it actually looked you know, i think it's the uh i think it's the only game that i know it's the first game it might be the only game but don't hold me to that um also in 86 or sorry in 86 they did the nes version and the sega master system then in 87 was the 7800 version 88 was the XEGS, and then they also did them for the Fujitsu Micro 7, the NEC PC8800, and the Sony SMC777, but I couldn't find dates on them. Sequels were Choplifter 2 for the Game Boy, Choplifter 3 for the Game Boy, Game Gear, and SNES. Uh, they also made a remake, including uh, on the modern PCs, Windows, iOS. Uh, you got uh, Choplifter Crisis Shields for the PS2, Choplifter HD for the... Ooh-ah! Ooh-ah, yeah, <laughs> which wasn't very successful. Uh, the PC, the PS3, and the Xbox 360, and then Choplifter HD Zombies, Zombies, Zombies for uh, downloadable content for the PC and PS3. So how does it compare to the original on the Apple II? Well, uh, gameplay is exactly the same. Uh, both games suffer from the slowdowns when too many game items appear on the screen. On the Apple II, it's, it, it, 
the game is at nighttime, where with the Atari versions during the day. Ah, uh, so are you saying are you saying the difference between Apple and Atari is night and night day? and day? Yes, and it makes sense to actually fly in a rescue mission during the night and not during the daytime. But you know, I don't I don't command those troops. Well, uh, interestingly, um, going back to sort of what a point you made a little while ago about the arcade game, the arcade game changed it from night to day. Yeah, that's and right. And that's why all subsequent versions after the arcade game change it from night to day. Oh, really? But yeah, but the but the Sega Master System version is the only one that is actually a conversion of the arcade game. Oh. All the others are based on the original Apple II port. Ah, okay. Version, that makes sense. version yeah. All the others are ports of the Apple II version, but they a lot but they all change it from night to day. But the right. Sega Master System version was an actually a conversion to the arcade game because Sega did the arcade game. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. Well, I was um, trying. Oh. I was, I was just, just, to, just to add to that, uh, before I was playing the XEGS version or the XC version, I actually uh, accidentally started playing the 82 version oh, in I'm which sorry. it was night. <laughs> yeah. So when I was doing my review, I was actually, without knowing, I was reviewing the 82 version, and then I start looking at the show notes and it says, clouds. What clouds? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's at night. You really can't see them. So, <laughs> yeah, and so, I, so I figured out pretty quickly, uh-oh, I'm, I'm playing the wrong game. Yeah, and that's, and I hate to say it, but the 82 version, and although we're not reviewing it, is a, in pa- a pale comparison. In fact, I really mm-hmm. think that the uh, Apple II version looks better than the uh, Atari version. Oh, totally. It's very similar. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing with the graphics. It just looks really weird. So, um, of course, the uh, Apple does have some color and graphics limitations compared to the Atari. So I would say the Atari version definitely is more colorful. Uh, you only have that one-bit speaker sound for the Apple uh, because it didn't have the sound card support. Uh, it was This is pre-Mockingboard. So um, I won't say that the – we'll talk more about the sound, but I won't say that the Atari version is that much better. It uh, seems very similar. Uh, the uh, Apple allows uh, reversed up and down options on the controls and left and right, as well as you can turn the sound on and off with keyboard commands. Atari doesn't give you those options. The Atari version allows for a little more screen space, so uh, everything's a slightly smaller, which I kind of like. Okay, as far as the controls, the Apple allows for reverse up and down and left and right, as well as you can turn off the sound with the keyboard commands. The Atari doesn't offer these options. The Atari version allows for a little more screen space, so everything's slightly smaller, which I kind of like. It uh, makes it easier to uh, uh, shoot things sometimes. They, they appear much uh, you get much more of a view to see them. The Atari version has a score description, where with the Apple II, uh, it just has a, a little icon. And Atari version is missing the orb in the sky, or what some people would call the, the moon or the sun. The Atari version also has no demo or splash screen, which the Apple does. So um, here's some playing tips. I played it quite a bit. I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed playing it. So, uh, but in the first sortie, uh, after you take off from the base... Uh, you own the skies. There's nothing to shoot you down. Uh, the only thing that can kill you are tanks. Uh, and they can only shoot you when you're on the ground. Uh, when you're flying, your orientation, uh, you can only take out tanks when you're facing forward. So, you know, you can fly wherever you want. But in this case, you might as well fit, fly that way. And when you do bomb uh, the tanks, they're only effective for certain heights. So don't go up too high. And try to land in the middle screen because then the tanks won't pop out from the sides and shoot you. 
And, you know, although you can don't, you know, you can get a little greedy with those when those hostages are coming into your helicopter, don't get too greedy because you can get shot or the uh, hostages can get, get shot. And um, don't land on your hostages. That's a, it's a rule because you'll kill them. <laughs> when you're collecting hostages, try to collect at least 16 and then return to base. That's because the helicopter can't hold any more than that. And, uh, but you can, return, you can return to base with fewer guys. It really doesn't matter. Nothing gets more difficult. So in the second sortie, now you have jets and they're firing rockets at you. The manual says they're actually air-to-air missiles, but these don't home in on you. Uh, you can fly to the, your location. I would suggest you fly to your location backwards and low to the ground where the back of your tail rotor is just touching the horizon of the ground. And I've never been shot down that way. And uh, your, the jets are susceptible to your fire as long as you're orientated uh, to left or right. A gun, the bombs can't shoot down air, uh, aircraft. Uh, you don't get any points for them, so shoot them or don't. It uh, doesn't really matter. It doesn't stop anything. In the third sortie, now you have homing air mines. And the skies are now getting very crowded, so now you have the jets and those. So um, but stick to the suggestion I said before with flying low to the ground with your, uh, your rotor touching the, the horizon. And again, you won't get shot. And you can also shoot down the mines, but again, no points. My top score was six, or out of 64 was 56. So um, let me give you some technical aspects. I thought, well, some people were asking about this, like, you know, give some more details about the game. So I started looking at the display list, and it's been a while since I've <laughs> looked at the display list. Uh, so I got a little help from Peter Dell. I probably people know him on Atari Age as a Jack. And uh, he was actually doing some videos on the disassembler called Dis 6502, and I was having some problems getting to load up this program. So he said that's because of the um, size of the cartridge. It's actually 64K, and his uh, disassembly only works for uh, 16K. But then he found out that uh, it actually could compress into 22K space. So he doesn't know why it's so large. But uh, the game's uh, display list is made up of two modes, Antic Mode E, that's the game screen, and then uh, 4, which is the score. So... Um, where can you get these uh, these games? Well, pretty much nowhere. I didn't see any at Best Electronics. And this is going for the 60, the 82 version as well as the 88. BNC Computer Visions didn't have them. Nothing on Goodwill, of course, could pop up at some point in time. eBay did find it there. $101. Found two of them. Uh, one with a manual and one without. And these were loose carts. So and the, these are the XE ones, right? The these ones are the XE, yeah. yes. I wouldn't, yeah. I would say, you know, I was trying to find both of them just in case somebody was interested in the older one, but I was focusing on the new one. And yeah, there was, but $101. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's, is that the Ferg effect in action or something? I don't know what's going on here, but. <laughs> um, as far as other reviews, we've got the 7800 Game by Game podcast. They did it for episode 10 and the excellent arcade games episode number 14 gave it an eight out of 10 and antic did an interview with doug carlston uh co-founder and ceo of broderman so he talks a little bit about it and you can also check out the reviews on the atari mania people have given it some reviews there so so i uh, just want to go back to my memories of choplifters so when i uh, used to get out of junior high i'd go downtown uh, in Tacoma and there was a little place called Computerland and in the window they had the Apple II with uh, Choplifter playing and I was just I drooled over it it just looked so cool and I wanted to play that game so just the memories of when you're a little kid 
So what did I like about the game? Well, for the, it's one of the best-looking games for the 8-bit computers. I like the way the, the orientation of the screen was, lots of space. Some games were uh, where the helicopter was too large, and I think this was just right. Very nice scenery, controls, never had any real problems with it. Uh, levels ramp up. The difficulty is really good. I mean, it doesn't get too hard too fast. And not getting shot down a wall saving the hostages is definitely a challenge. And it's a great game idea. Uh, what could be improved? Well, I wish they would have added more difficulties. You just go through those three sorties and that's it. So it's, it's realistic, but I would like to have like more jets or just more challenges. And um, they didn't take advantage of the Atari sound capabilities. It was pretty much just the Apple II's version. Um, then you still had those slowdowns. I don't know why they would have slowdowns. I mean, I, it sort of makes sense with the Apple, but the Atari is much more powerful. The box uh, cover isn't really that impressive. So um, it's just sort of sparse. It's, it's kind of generic. And the backstory is sort of lazy. It, I mean, you've looked at previous versions where they tell you a little bit more. It was just kind of a throw on the box and get out to the get up shelf. But, so my rating is graphics. I give it an eight. Uh, I think the, as I said, the graphics are much better than the previous version. The clouds are a nice touch. And the, the mountains in the background render nicely. And it's got a nice little horizon. Yeah, I, I would I would mention that it's it's basically some some parallax scrolling where you've got some some f- far away clouds and you've got some up close clouds and then if if you've if anybody who's seen Shoplifter you remember the the series of uh, gates or the fence pieces uh, near the very beginning of the level by your yeah. post office it, you know they they all kind of line up with that and and it's it's a it's a neat effect as you as you scroll it's definitely cooler looking to see playing than it is to just see a static screenshot. So for the sound effects and music, I give it a four. Uh, this intro music was actually not bad, but the um, the sound effects in the game were pretty much just the Apple II versions of the bleeps and bloops. I wish they would have taken advantage of the Atari's uh, sound capabilities. It wasn't that impressive. Gameplay and playability, I gave it a seven. Uh, lots of challenges. You got the attacking jets, the tanks, the homing air mines. Sometimes you can crash just by landing too fast. Um, you land on hostages, and it's a great setting. Controls. Give it eight. Oh, hold on a second. You what? mean it's great timing for the United Nations child rearing and peace talk? Yes, yes. But <laughs> the uh, the theme is a good. It's good timing for that theme. Yes. Uh, controls. I gave it an eight. Uh, the movement is very responsive, and um, I did have one issue when I'd be firing, and then it would change orientation. But it only happened to me once. I, you know, it's it's just bound to happen. Yeah, can, can you actually can, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I, I had to, to dig up a manual to understand what I was doing. Because it's it's, really? it's a jo- it's a joystick plus one button game, and I and yeah. I was having difficulty understanding like when does the helicopter decide to turn around versus you know not? And and I realized that it's it's you tap the fire button to shoot, and yes. you hold the fire button to change orientation. So presumably on the Apple II, they had two keys: one key for rotate, one key for shoot. Or or how did that work? Does anybody know? Well, I used to play on the keyboard, and it's been so long since I played that version. I don't know, but I think you could you pretty much do that on a keyboard. Didn't the, did the Apple II have two keys? I remember it had two, but I can't remember. Oh no, no, was... I, I was yeah, I played it on a keyboard as well. That, that's what I'm talking right. about. It's, uh, I I never played on the joystick on the Apple II. So I'm, I'm assuming like maybe Z for rotate and space for fire or something like that. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, I don't remember, but uh, I I didn't find too many problems with it. I like I said, hold it down. It was actually quite natural. I didn't really have any issues with it. So, and um, oh, and three positions of flight are nice. It represents the uh, helicopter's flight capabilities. Uh, replayability, I say five, and only because as soon as you beat it, you're done. I mean, you could definitely beat your score, but at some point in time, it's like, well, 
I got 64 guys. Now it goes on the shelf. So, so my final score that averages to about uh, 6.5. And I, as I mentioned, I love this game in the Apple II. I think it's one of the best 8-bit versions. But I think by 88, I, they could have been a little bit better, especially in the sound department. And, you know, they would have, if they just offered more playing options, I think it would have been a much better game. Uh, it definitely deserves to be better than the Apple II version. And not yeah, especially, just because, yeah. I was going to say, especially a six-year-old version. Yeah, exactly. The time and the system it's on. I mean, as new systems come out, more and more powerful systems, they should you know, move forward. And I don't think this one did it. I think they just took the original source code. I mean, the original 82 version was developed by the same guy who did the Apple version. And there's definitely signs that in the code itself, that this version is just a port of that version. They just slap some better graphics on it. So kind of a shame. Uh, Now, if I can. uh, So while you guys were talking, I quickly looked up the Apple II choplifter manual. Mm -hmm. And so it says controlling the helicopter. The chopper will respond logically to up, down, and sideways thrusts of the joystick control. You may reverse direction with a sustained push of button one. A short push of button one will put the chopper into tank attack posture, facing you so that the chopper can shoot back at the tanks on the ground. To fire, press a button, and it says zero. Okay, so it's a... It's a two-fire button game on the Apple. I've never had an Apple, so... So how many... It says button one, but does it say button two? I didn't... It said button zero. Zero? Okay. Because they're... <laughs> nerds. Remember? No. Yeah, nerds. <laughs> Somebody call Kevin Savitz. <laughs> yes, because everything starts at zero. <laughs> of course. Uh, and the other special keys was you had the escape key for pause... You had control S toggle sound on and off. Any key will start it. And control V and A reverses up and down, left and right on the joystick. Cool. So see, we have there's some Apple love. There is, yeah. The Zegs has not left you behind. <laughs> so what about you, David? What do you think of the game? Well, I felt that the game was definitely upgrade from the previous versions, like the Atari 5200 version and the earlier 8-bit uh, version or versions. If you love Choplifter and love Atari, then the XC version is the one to get. Uh, graphics, I gave it a 9. Great scrolling, nice multicolor helicopter graphics. It looks like a civilian helicopter versus military. Of course, that's my fault because I didn't read the manual. I thought I was saving POWs, but then again, it was somebody else. So obviously, it's a civilian-looking helicopter, right? right. Anyway, uh, it had nice background. Sorry about that? What it's a mail sorter. Ma- mail sorter, yes. It had to be disguised <laughs> as a mail sorter. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want my, my mail sorted by that thing. <laughs> I don't think, well, as, well I'm going to just tell you. When I was piloting it, nobody's getting any mail. <laughs> okay? Uh, let me see here. Uh, nice background on the mountains. I like the snow on the peaks, clouds in the sky. I like the two-color hostage sprite, which is an upgrade from the previous one-color hostages. Now, as far as sound effects and music, uh, I had to give it a one. Very primitive. What a shame when you have access to the pokey chip. Yeah. Uh, no in-game music other than the opening title. Gameplay playability, I gave it a seven. It's a quite a challenging game. But not much variety in what you can do. But that is understandable with the limitations of the joystick. Nice helicopter physics, but a little hard to control. Hence, I am not a real pilot in real life. (laughs) Uh, Controls, I gave it a 6. Great use of the firing button to change direction of the helicopter and tank uh, attack mode. But found it a bit tough to get used to in the beginning. 
especially it was problematic for me when I got guys on the ground, I got tanks shooting me, I got pesky jets over my head. <laughs> uh, but it was very satisfying to shoot down a jet, I must tell you. Replayability. It can, I gave it a four, it can become monotonous in a short time unless you're really into this kind of game. I myself personally have more fun probably playing Scramble or Vanguard, but, but this doesn't mean that it's not a good game. This is still a good game. And that's the whole point of having a variety in games. Not all games are for everybody, but this is a good game. It's just maybe I don't have the skills. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> uh, so my final score is about 5.4 out of 10. Okay, for me, I, I give the graphics a 7. It's got nice parallax scrolling, and I, I like the kind of nearby clouds and the uh, Activision-style sunset gradient in the background. But it's not stunning. Sound effects and music, I gave it a 1. The, the bleeps and bloops, I was very surprised to hear like it, it doesn't it, i wonder if it's even using the pokey or if it's just simulating the the apple's piezo buzzer using the gtia's piezo buzzer gameplay playability uh i gave it only a five i found it very difficult kind of tedious and repetitive and it's not really my my cup of tea as a game controls i so we talked about the the shoot versus rotate of the helicopter i realized that it's not xcgs friendly but having some keyboard control would have been good like maybe i could hit space bar to rotate the plane or the helicopter and in kind of as a side note it's, it's a shame atari didn't introduce two button controllers on the 8-bit at this point um they had them on the 5200 and the 7800 and you can you know you can use the 7800 ones on on the 8-bit and you can read them if you program it right sega did it with their atari-ish game pads like on the genesis and, and you can read two of the fire buttons on the genesis controllers right on atari without any hacking you know so just as an aside, that's kind of a shame. Replayability, I only give it a two. It's it's not one I would really go back to. It's it's nice to show off what the Atari can do and kind of show off to an Apple II user. But then, you know, again, it's also six years later, so I'm sure by then they're all laughing at us because they've got the Apple II GS, right? <laughs> so game-wise, I'll stick to something like Defender, which is a little bit more fast action and, and something that I, I feel that, you know, if, if I die, I can at least get a one-up. Uh, I'm racking up the points like a pinball game. It's 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 a bit more fun. So my final score came out to about three and a half out of ten. Um, I really like the graphics. I think they're really good. Uh, so I gave the graphics a nine. Um, I really like the parallax scrolling. It's not something you see in a lot of 8-bit games. I thought that they chose the color palette very well. Uh, it worked. It all, all, all worked uh, really well. There wasn't really anything that looked out of place. Um, it was very smooth and... Uh, Far better looking than the original version. I don't think that's in any doubt. As far as sound effects and music go, um, I really like the title tune. Although it's short, it is, um, it is rather good. Um, I thought the in-game effects were okay. I've heard worse, put it that way. <laughs> game, gameplay and playability. I thought it was a lot of fun to play. Uh, I think the game has a good difficulty curve. Um, it, you know, Okay, um, once you beat it, there's not a lot to come back to, but it will take you a while to actually beat it, I think. Controls. Um, it does take a little while to get used to switching the chop around, I think, as people have already mentioned. But I think once you get used to it, it's not really a problem. And uh, replayability, I think it's a hugely enjoyable game. I go back to it quite a lot, although uh, it's the uh, 7800 version that I'm more familiar with. That was actually the first uh, system I played it on. So I've played it a, a lot on the 7800 over the years. And... Uh, yeah, I, I still enjoy it a lot. So I think my final rating added up to I think just just under an eight out of ten, which um, which sounds about right. Cause I think I gave it an eight out of ten on my um my excellent games episode. So 
that's always good that adds up to the same. <laughs> so the 7800 version, I, I did watch all the versions. I can't remember exactly the 7800 version. And because the 7800 essentially simulates the, the it's got the 2600 chip and sound chip in it. How does it compare to this version? It's fairly similar. Okay. It's com- completely different programmers, but it is actually very similar. It looks fairly similar, although I think the graphics on the 7800 version are slightly bigger. Yeah. Um, but it play it play um it plays slightly better i think because uh obviously on the 7800 you've got two button control yeah. so one of your one of the buttons does the rotation the other button does the shooting i wish we i wish these old systems had two buttons i could see so many situations where that would come in handy but, mm. but oh, well I do, but i do think like somebody mentioned before i mean this is the xcgs it does have a keyboard and it does have a space button just like when mm-hmm. you play defender it would have been nice you know maybe just tap the button you know, tap you know, tap the button to change orientation. Mm-hmm. Well, right. somebody will have to create a hack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, people, start hacking. <laughs> Rob, Kevin, get on it. <laughs> Game two review. Well, I guess right. that uh, I guess that uh, leads us to um, Bill's review of Crystal Castles. All right. Uh, Crystal Castles is a 1988 game published by Atari, model number RX8102, and it's an arcade collectum style game. The developers were Paul Metz, William Yankee, 1984 at Atari Inc. That's an unreleased version, though. Uh, and the Software Factory actually developed it for Atari Corp, which is the version that got released in 1988. And this was, per Michael Currents, a history of Tramel technology slash Atari. So a little bit of background on the developers. Paul Metz was born in 1961 and attended Columbia University, where he's part of the Hackers Club. And, of course, back then it was the coding, not the black hat stuff. Despite the person in charge of the university's Center for Computing Activity making disparaging remarks about Paul's love for writing uh, computer uh, computer games, Uh, He got hired straight out of school by Atari, so that showed that guy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Sadly, I discovered that he committed suicide back in 2011. Um, I I didn't look into why, and the short bio I just provided was a small sampling from a wonderful remembrance of him by a longtime friend and classmate classmate named Lynn Gold. Um, I tried reaching out to her to see if I could get a little bit more information about him, but she didn't respond, and I'm guessing it was because my Facebook chat went into the spam filter or something. Bill... Yankee uh, worked on a Bally Astrocade game uh, cartridge back in 1979 and was working at Stern on an arcade game called Dark Planet that used mirrors to give the illusion of 3D in the early 1980s. And that was basically all I know about him, except for the fact that he worked on this game back at Atari Inc. From the XEGS box, Bentley Bear is trapped in Crystal Castles, home of Bertilda the Witch and her evil cronies. To escape, Bentley must harvest all the gems in each castle while, while avoiding the deadly touch of the castle's inhabitants. Not really sure how harvesting the gems helps him, but okay. Watch for the magic hat. As long as he's wearing it, Bentley is invincible. But look out. If Bentley isn't careful, the evil creatures will turn him into bear stew. That's kind of horrifying. Um, from Wikipedia, uh, it was an arcade game released by Atari Inc. in 1983. The player controls a cartoon bear named Bentley Bear, who has to collect gems located throughout trimetric projected rendered castles while avoiding enemies out to get him as well as the gems. Crystal Castles is notable for being the first arcade action game with an actual ending, whereas most games of the time either continued indefinitely, ended in what was termed a kill screen, or simply just restarted from the first level, and to contain advanced warp zones. So in the castles, you've got uh, stairs, hallways, elevators, and tunnels. They're very cool-looking shapes to, to 
move your little bear around on. They're covered in the gems that you must collect to advance to the next castle. Some en enemies collect them too. Uh, you get a bonus if you get the last gem. And no bonus if you don't. Some have secret warps to later levels. Uh, go to a certain spot and jump. Some require the magic hat. Other collectibles, the magic hat, uh, which gives you temporary invincibility. The honey pot, which gives you a thousand point bonus. Um, and I believe it also keeps the bees at bay, which I'll get to soon. The enemies include little crystal balls. Uh, they kind of look like spheres with happy faces. Maybe they're related to Evil Auto. Uh, gem eaters. Uh, they look kind of like upright centipedes, maybe. They can be defeated if you touch them while they're swallowing a gem. Nasty trees. Uh, they get stunned when you jump over them. Bertilda the Witch. She appears on the last maze of each level and can be defeated if Bentley's wearing the magic hat. A swarm of bees, which can be delayed by collecting the honeypot. Ghosts, skeletons, and a cauldron, which is like the honeypot, but it kills you. I think maybe that's when you get turned into stew. Uh, you start with three lives, and you get a bonus life every 70,000 points. If you lose all your lives, it's game over. So a little bit, a little bit about the legacy. Um, the arcade game, like I said, was released in 1983. It used a trackball controller, uh, utilized the venerable Pokey sound chip, uh, and a MOS 6502 CPU, uh, which are both found in the Atari XGS and other 8-bit home computers. Ports to other platforms include the Atari 2600, released in 1984. 5200 and 7800 versions were planned but canceled. And uh, as I kind of alluded to before, the XGS version is based on an unreleased 400-800 XL version from 1984. It was also released on the Apple II, TRS-80, Commodore 64, Atari ST, BBC Micro, ZX Spectrum, Amstrad CPC, plus obviously the arcade emulations to various mo uh, more modern platforms. So I just want to ask a question. I mean, this only had two Pokey chips compared to the, you know, XEGS's one. So you throw another Poké chip on the end there and you program it and you can get a game that looks like this in the arcades. That's that's pretty amazing if <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> well, um, uh, I forget. Uh, one of the systems used quad Pokies. Uh, the Star Wars wow. game used Pokey. Um, yeah. I think he used Pokey, Pokey, but then also another chip or something for the digitized sounds. But, uh, but yeah, Pokey was used a lot by the, the arcade game side of Atari as well. Wow, they should just added pokies instead of, you know, every version come out, the XL, more pokies, the XE, pokey, pokey, pokey. <laughs> and that's what it's all about. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. Sequels and remakes. Um, Bentley Bear starred in some Atari ST educational games. Uh, Bentley is a playable character in Atari Karts uh, on the Atari Jaguar. That was back when whatever carts was a theme. Like, who cares what the IP is? Looney Tunes or whatever. Stick carts at the end and make a game. Big money. And then more recently, uh, Bentley Bears Crystal Quest is a homebrew 2D side-scrolling platform game for the Atari uh, 7800 with the XM expansion module. In January 1996, at an off-site showing near Winter CES uh, in Las Vegas, Atari announced some Atari Interactive PC CD-ROM titles, uh, one of which was Return to Crystal Castles, which never shipped. Um, and there's also a band, uh, which I've heard of but never actually listened to, um, from, hey, Toronto, Canada, uh, formed back in 2003. However, the name Crystal Castles of the band uh, is actually from the castles in the cartoon She-Ra, which was the spinoff of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, not the arcade game. So now I am disappointed. 
Um, See, I, I heard, I heard that it was named after the Atari arcade game. Well, maybe Wikipedia is interesting to read that. Yeah, interesting to read that. It was someone who was a fan of the band who told me that. Maybe that's just wishful thinking. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, because who, who, who'd be a fan of the the cartoon She-Ra? I mean, <laughs> exactly. Ouch. I think even I watched a little bit of She-Ra. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, where to buy? Uh, Best Electronics had nothing. BNC had the um, eighty-four prototype only, uh, and it was thirty dollars. eBay. Uh, boy, back in March when I first looked, they were ranging from seventy-five to eighty dollars. Uh, in terms of other. Um, reviews of other ports and so forth. Uh, the No Quarter podcast has an episode where they discuss it, uh, the arcade version. And there's a 2013 Game Developers Conference postmortem video making the Atari Coin Up Classic Crystal Castles by programmer Franz Lanzinger. Lan- uh, Lan- um, so briefly, I'll give up my reviews. Graphics, I gave it a, a 7. Um, it's a blocky but good imp- interpretation of the arcade game. Uh, good use of multicolored sprites. Uh, sound effects and music, I give it a 7. It's got great music and uh, and pretty good sound effects. Playability, um, the, I give it a 7. The joystick import, input works pretty well. I really wish it used trackball. I played the trackball, uh, well, the arcade version, obviously, uh, had the trackball um, when I was a kid, and that would have been cool if they supported that. Uh, controls, I gave it a 7. Uh, basically, see above, plays well, responds well. It's just uh, trackball would be so awesome. And replayability, I give it an 8. It's got uh, diverse levels and some secrets to keep it fresh. So I give it approximately 7 out of 10. David? Okay, so for graphics, I gave it a 7. It had a nice variety of colors, good graphics, but the characters, as you mentioned, looked a bit blocky. But at least you can tell what's what. So music and sound effects, I gave it a 7. Love the sound effects and the music, rich, full sounds. Would have liked a little more music while you're actually playing the level, but what is there is satisfying. Gameplay playability, I gave it an 8. I have to be honest, I had a lot more fun playing this game than Choplifter. I always looked forward to the next level design, and the variety of levels kept my interest. The controls were 7. Controls are good, but I got stuck on the corners a lot, or I missed a lot of corners. A little hard to get used to the... Now, is this game isometric? Oh, I think it's... It's actually, um, let's see, I wrote it down here. Trimetric. Yeah, yeah. trimetric, thank you. Isometric is like a general term. There's very few games that are actually isometric, but people use it as a general term because there's different types of... Okay. um, They call it something projection, but I can't remember what it is. Well, yeah. and like Zaxxon was ice was the I, I don't want to say isometric was what axonometric. Yeah, axonometric. Thank you. Projection. Yeah. But this game, the the arcade version is that tri axometric. Is that what you said it was? Um, this one is slightly different than that. It's not exactly the same if you look at it. Mm. Okay, let's so. say the forty-five degree angles. I'm not a math nerd, so I don't. Know. Ish. Okay. Ish. Everybody okay, just let's says say the forty-five degree ish. Angles was a little hard to get used to. <laughs> uh, replayability, I gave it an eight. It's an it, there's a nice variety of enemies, power ups, and pickups to collect. Great level designs and variety kept me coming back for more. My final score was seven point four out of ten. Now, just to add on to Bill's uh, uh, information about the Atari seventy eight hundred Bentley Bears Crystal Quest game, uh, that game is actually a platformer and has many of the same characters 
uh, in that game as you as you see in the XCGS Crystal Castle game. Uh, it does require the seventy the long awaited and anticipated <laughs> seventy eight hundred expansion module, uh, which I think gives the, the seventy eight hundred uh, more memory, a new music chip, and I think it has uh, high score saving options. And that's it, Michael. Yeah, so um, I didn't tell listeners before, but I generally compare uh, things to other things. I like so what I'll do in this case is I'll compare it to the arcade version. And um, so as far as graphics go, I think the uh, I gave it a seven. I the only issues I had were in the arcade version you have a transition between levels. In this one, you just jump to the next level. Bentley Bear uh, for those people in the U- U.S. He looks more like Snuggles, the guy at Hawk's Fabric Softener, than he does actually <laughs> the character in the arcade. For you people in the U.K., you probably know Paddington, and uh, it just looks like a naked Paddington. So could have gave him some clothes, I guess. Uh, in the arcade version, the first level always contains the initials of the high score, but because there's no high score in this game, uh, there's no initials. Um, and actually, they're actually imprinted in the levels, so that's actually cool. I didn't know that until I was playing, and I read that, and I was like, oh, there they are, right there. There's the player's initials. So, And we mentioned before, the projected layout isn't exactly like the ar- arcade, but it's close enough. But I like the um, the level design. It's actually really cool and looks a lot like the arcade, so um, that's uh, it's positive. Sound effects and music, it's ex- you know pretty close to the arcade again, so I can't complain. I mean, there, I, there's that pokey. There's those po- yeah, exactly. And <laughs> And it, there was no place I, I saw where there was n- no sound or music. Sounds are slightly different. Music always seemed to play at the right uh, places in the game, so that was good. Gameplay and playability, tons of levels, lots of enemies, power-ups and bonuses. I mean, that's what you want in a game, so I gave that an 8. Controls, I give it a 7. Um, the joystick works well, but it, like Bill, uh, I wish I had an arcade, uh, trackball. I, the game in the arcades with the trackball, trackball is available. They should have just added it as an option. Replayability, it's an arcade game, and I think it's a fun arcade game. So I could see people playing it over and over and playing with friends and stuff. So I give it a, uh, my average is a 7.6, but uh, we'll roll down it down to 7.5 out of 10. I love um, this version of Crystal Castles. I only discovered it quite recently um, when I was doing it for a video, and I think it's absolutely fantastic. So I gave the graphics an 8. Um, I think they're an excellent representation of the arcade graphics, even if Bentley Bear as previously mentioned, does look a little bit weird, but otherwise it looks great. Sound effects and music, um, also an 8. I thought the tunes are great, uh, really good effects. Um, it sounds like the arcade game, basically. Um, great stuff. Uh, gameplay and playability, I gave it a 9. I've always had a soft spot for the game. I think it's a, a timeless classic, an underrated one at that, and um, I think it plays extremely well, as it can without a trackball. Obviously, a trackball would be better, but still, I think they... they they got the joystick controls as good as they could have, so I gave it an 8. Replayability, it's a 9 for me because it's a game um, I've played loads over the years. Originally, I had the, the 2600 version growing up, so that was the version I was familiar with. I used to play the, the hell out of that, and uh, since I discovered the XE version, I've played that a great deal. So, uh, yeah, uh, 9 on that. So I think it worked out 8.5 out of 10, but I mean, my I would. it's a 9 out of 10 game for me. I, I really, really do enjoy it. The XE version of Crystal Castles is probably one of my my favorite um, Sega's cartridges, actually. Well, I'm going to assume that that's what you gave it in your excellent arcade game. I did. YouTube video part 13, where you reviewed it. <laughs> I did. I gave it 9 out of 10. Yeah. Um, <laughs> plug, Atari, plug. Pro- <laughs> Atari Protos <laughs> also has, has a review of the unreleased 84 version over on their website, and we'll have a link. Um, next segment, we're going to go into the uh, look at um, XE budget games, and uh, as I've explained in previous episodes... Um, 
here in the UK, we had a thing called budget games. They're extremely popular. They uh, were generally games on cassette that cost um, two or three pounds. And you could pick them up from all sorts of strange places. I used to buy them from a little uh, newspaper shop um, around the corner from me with my weekly pocket money. And uh, when the XE machines came out in the UK, they released lots more games on tape for them at, the, at, the, at this budget price. And uh, we're going to look at another couple of um, such titles today. And uh, again, uh, a lot of these titles, I should explain a little bit more on this, are games I didn't originally play on, on, on the Atari. I grew up with a... a zx spectrum and uh, budget games were a big part of of that time growing up and uh, a lot of these games i was familiar with on the spectrum and then i when i got into the atari uh, in later years i looked up these games when i found out they were on the atari uh, to see how they compared to the spectrum versions so although uh, i have a lot of nostalgia for a lot of the games that i've been mentioning so far my nostalgia is not actually for the atari versions it's more for the the zx spectrum versions but in, in most cases, they're very much the same game. Game 3, review. And the first one of those I'm going to look at this week is very much falls into that category. Um, LA SWAT or Los Angeles SWAT, to give it its full name. Actually, if you want to give it a full name, it's Special Weapons and Tactics. But uh, yep, this is a kind of, um, best way to describe it is it's a commando slash uh, sort of Akari Warriors kind of clone, but set in, uh, in a city, so urban. So the description was from Wikipedia. So it's a computer game released for several home computers in 1987 by Mastertronic. In this game, the player assumes the role of a Los Angeles police officer fighting rioters. In each level, the player moves forward towards the top of the screen, avoiding or shooting the rioters, who would either lob grenades if at a distance or beat your character to the pavement with clubs in a melee if you're in range. At the end of each level, a procession of gang members... Marching information will stream down from the top of the screen. After killing these gang members, a single gang member will move randomly around the screen with a woman next to him. This functioned a bit like a sharp, sharp shooting competition, as shooting the woman would cause the player to lose points, while successfully shooting the gangster would call her to take the arm of your character. As the levels progress, the gang members become more frequent, and the player will see, begin to see placed cars perpendicular to the street acting as roadblocks. So the game, uh, as I already kind of mentioned, it was on the the ZX Spectrum and uh, the Amstrad CPC, another very much British computer. It also came out for the Commodore 64. And the disc version of the game for the Commodore 64 and the Atari was actually a double-sided disc with the C64 on one side and the Atari version on the other. So already mentioned, it's similar to games like Commando, Akari Warriors and the Eagle's Nest. And it's also worth mentioning, in terms of the legacy, that they've actually, only this week... Um, as we're recording this, launched a Kickstarter for a book um, about the history of Mastertronic. So look in the show notes for that. It looks like it's going to be um, a project very much worth supporting because Mastertronic were a very big part of, of UK games history and contributed a lot in general, actually, to the games industry. They were later taken over by Virgin Games. And uh, actually, a lot of their UK, the UK division of, of, uh, of what became Virgin Mastertronic was actually bought out by Sega. So uh, they became part of, of, of Sega. So um, they did such a good job of, of marketing Sega's consoles here that Sega bought the company. So uh, that's, uh, that, that's pretty much it on the history of it. I mean, if you want to know, want to know more, there's quite a bit about it on, um, on, on Moby Games with, with some reviews on there. Um, there's a review of the 64 version on the Mastertronic Chronicles, which is a good YouTube channel. 
and uh, there's a few other little reviews and stuff out there so i'll go straight into my review i gave the graphics a seven there's nice multicolored sprites and a kind of pseudo 3d effect um, which looks it looks okay um, it's nothing special so i gave the graphics a seven the sound effects and music uh, only a four um, pretty basic they could have been a lot uh, a lot a lot lot better i should also mention actually at this point uh, going back with the graphics there's almost no presentation at all um the, the 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 title screen is incredibly basic it's literally just some text um there's no music of any kind on the title screen either so that's quite disappointing gameplay uh it does get pretty challenging as the game goes on um you do have to be very careful uh not to shoot civilians i didn't mention that in description but as well as the, 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 the gang members that come down the screen and shoot at you, there's also sort of old men with walking sticks who walk along the pavement. And you have to be very careful not to shoot them because if you do, you lose points. Another thing actually worth mentioning when you go into the gameplay is that you, you have three lives and you see all three of your lives on the screen at the same time. So the kind of way to describe it is when you start the game, you have a soldier in the middle and one either side. And as you walk up the screen... Your other two lives basically follow you up the screen. If you get shot, one of those two guys moves into the middle and takes over until you've got none left. I thought that was quite an interesting concept. That does mean it's, it uses more sprites <laughs> on screen. It's, it's, uh, so, it's so rare for games to make yeah. sense like that. Usually yeah. it's just like all of a sudden there was another ship there. I'm like, well, why wasn't it helping me the whole time? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this game, you actually do see your backup. So controls, uh, the controls do work quite well. It's uh, quite responsive, it's accurate, the collision detection's pretty good. And um, it's an alright game in its own right. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's decent. Um, I, I, I play it every now and again. I think a lot of that is because it was a game I, I strangely enjoyed a hell of a lot as a kid. It's one of those games I think I probably remember it being better than it actually is. Um, because I, I just remember playing the heck out of it when I was, when I was younger. But one of the annoying features I must mention is the snipers are really annoying. You do get snipers on top of the buildings, and when you get one either side, um, it can be almost impossible to get past them sometimes. Yeah. But overall, um, it, for me, it's a 6 out of 10. I mean, it's, it's nothing, nothing special, but um, there's not many of these kind of commando-style games on the uh, Atari so if you, if you do like those kind of games like Gunsmoke and Commando and Akari Warriors and that, sadly the, the Zegs version of Akari Warriors never came out and has never been found. So, And Commando was never actually released either. That's only a prototype. So uh, if you do enjoy those kind of games, it's, it's probably worth looking up. So, David, what did you think? Well, I actually thought while I was playing it, I thought this is what it must feel to try to attend a Donald Trump um, <laughs> uh, speaking engagement. <laughs> So, um, sad. So anyway, and yes, and accidentally, when I first started playing this game, I actually shot the man with the walking stick uh, yeah. and, I, and I lost a thousand points. So I found out, yeah, that's not, uh, that's not like an older thug. Well, he had he's, a stick. So he's just the old guy trying to get away. He was asking for it. Yeah. Well, okay. So graphics, I gave it a seven. I, I like the top-down view with the 3D buildings. Uh, decent variety of color. I like the decent sprite animations, especially when you're dying and being bonked on the head multiple times by those hooligans. The sound effects and music, I give it a four. Sound is basic. I think the sound highlight is actually the sound effect of the grenade flying over your head. 
You'd like that. Yeah, that was actually the best sound I think that okay. was in there. <laughs> uh, the sound stops uh, when you stop moving. So if you just stop, uh, the other uh, enemy sprites will continue to move, but there is actually no sound at all. And there is no music in the game, or at least what I, would, what, what I believe sounds like music. So if there's music, I didn't hear it. Uh, gameplay does not okay. <laughs> gameplay playability, I gave it a six. The game is decent, but somehow while playing, I felt like wanting to play commando because of a faster pace, more enemies, and that great commando music. But still a good game. Uh, controls, I gave it a seven. Controls are responsive and accurate. Replayability, that's where it suffered a little bit for me. I gave it a I gave it a five. It's an all right game in its own right, but like I said before. When you've played something like Commando, uh, it, it was a little bit hard for me to go to this game. But in the end, I gave it a 5.8 out of 10. All right. Well, um, my turn. I, I just want to say I love Gunsmoke and Akari Warriors and Commando. Those are all my favorites in the arcade. And um, so, and I and I hope that this this is definitely very similar to that. But uh, you know, it it's not quite that way. Um, anyway, I just want to say uh, the cover. I looked up the cover on this because I want to see what you know was looking for the game and and i found it and it's it's i found that you it looks like entertainment usa version of it i don't know if this is the one you guys had in the uk but this thing is it screams 80s and a truck driver i swear yeah it's got it's got this chrome uh swatch it's really cool cover it it is just it's 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 throwing up 80s in your face it's just completely awesome and then i wanted to ask kieran when you were playing this game in the 80s when you looked at that cover what did you think about america like i don't want to go there it seems dangerous yeah the thing the thing is mastertronic used like quite a lot of different labels um for their games uh-huh. and entertainment usa were the ones where they were kind of trying to make it seem like it was a uh, an import at that time lots of american stuff was cool like the a-team and knight rider yeah and miami vice and things like that and i think that's what they were kind of going for um was that and trying to make you think it was some cool game that had come over from america even yeah. though some guy probably coded it in his bedroom you know <laughs> and yeah, they did, they, that was one of their labels basically see see bedrooms to billions sorry yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean it just screams like america i mean just... yeah Anyway, um, the graphics, I give it a six. The level intro, I mean, you mentioned before, just says level one. It's basically an antic mode seven, so or level one, level two. It's it's boring. Um, the perspective of the buildings are a little strange. It just seems a little bit off. The animation's quite simple. Um, when you shoot the guys that kind of fall down, the little walking guy, I mean, he's not doing much. Um, I noticed that when there's too many uh, NPCs on the, on the screen, um, they, they disappear. They just... I mean, when you're just before you get to the boss level, they come flooding down. All of a sudden, just pop the poof away, and I don't know what happened to it. But it's probably because of the limitations of the game, but yeah. uh, I, that was kind of annoying. But I love the idea, like I mentioned before, having your players on the screen. Now, it would have been even cooler if they would help you, but even so, just having them there—that was a great idea. Sound effects I, and music, I give it a six. Um, the walking sounds a bit annoying. It sounds like you—I don't know what that is. It's like a. a you know, it's kind of bah, 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 bah. it doesn't mm. sound like what you would expect. Uh, but you know, what can you get out of an eight bit system? Uh, gun firing sounds a bit strange too. You got that pop, which sounds okay, but then there's a buzz that's falling. I guess that's supposed to make it sound like it's a machine gun. The falling grain sound makes sense. It's kind of that. <whistles> so, uh, that was, that was a decent, 
Um, uh, as far as challenges go, the grenades follow you, which I thought was kind of interesting, but also made it really challenging. I couldn't stay in yeah. one place. The bullet distance limitation was a little bit of annoyance. I mean, you've got yourself a rifle there. I should be able to shoot everywhere. The fact that you've got eight ways is, is difficult enough to shoot them because I've noticed like guys will get in your little pocket and you can't shoot them. And then, of course, they're out of distance. Now, you could say that adds to the the difficulty of the game but at the same time i think you're holding a rifle it should shoot the full distance and it's got the boss level uh which is a nice touch but it seemed a little bit repetitive so you know that was a, a detraction from it control seven but i would say like i said before eight ways i wish it had that but that's the limitation of atari not of the game and replayability i gave it a three i did actually play this a few times and uh, i didn't really want to come back to it i just played it for the for the review i didn't really find it super enjoyable but it wasn't completely bland you know but uh yeah so i gave it a 5.8 or let's round it up to a six out of ten how about you bill all right uh first off one thing that uh, i think we forgot to mention was um the the developers for the atari version was actually sculpture software uh who we've talked about before and i'm sure we will talk about again so yeah ratings wise the graphics i gave it a five to me it looks more like a 1982 game than a 1986 one it had that um zombies or or uh realm of impossibility kind of clean four color look to me um at least the 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 buildings didn't didn't really scream realism sound effects and music um well there was no music and the sounds were very basic so i gave it a three gameplay playability uh yeah like you mentioned the bullets don't go very far and it's really hard to aim diagonally and yeah you get those the bad guy in the pocket and you're basically you're you're screwed because they can home in on you with their grenade and you can't shoot them because they're not at a 45 degree angle (laughs) (laughs) um the controls, uh, fair but not great. You're starting to make me think, um, was it Akari Warriors that had the, the knob, like the rotary controller yeah. or paddle? Yep. Yeah. See, we got those controllers. Why doesn't anybody ever use them? You know, like have, know. have a joystick in one hand, paddle on the other. I don't know how you shoot unless you got one of those trigger buttons on top. But anyway, I digress. Replayability, yeah, I give it pretty low. I give it a, a two. Um, I'm not much into this kind of game. I played a little bit of maybe Commando or something on my brother's Commodore or on an NES or something way back when. Um, but I, I get the feeling there are other shoot 'em ups that are, are more worthy of my time. So uh, on average, I guess it came out to about four. So basically, you hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, who who uh, rated? I give it a six. <laughs> uh, you know, if it were a one, it would be hate. I mean, yeah, it would, it's something that I might play now and then, but it's not something I'm going to be rushing. I, th- back I think to. some of these games you have to look at with context because you have to remember that it was two quid. You know, um, yeah, you yeah. Go down the shop with two pounds and, and buy it. Yeah, uh, but I want I want a refund on my ninety nine ninety nine <laughs> cent uh, Android app that I didn't like. No. Oh. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that, 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 somebody that, spent like eighteen months building now, in it? Unity. Yeah. Mm. Oh my god. Yeah, well, that was like. Right. Uh, do you guys remember the old TV show called SWAT? Oh yeah. I know that. Okay, so what I'm gonna do next time? I'm gonna try to find that theme song and play this game while I'm listening to that theme song. Bring you into the game. That's right. Also, keep in mind, I remember I was in the UK in 83, and I think uh, a pound was like a buck 50. So, yeah. would you say it was three three pounds? So It was, it was two or three pounds. I, I can't remember which. Um, I can't remember if it was a... Because Mastertronic had games that were two pounds and had games that were three pounds. And I can't remember if this is a two pound or three pound game, but it certainly wasn't more than three pounds. So, yeah, four dollars. So still very cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean that's definitely a reasonable game. That's something I mean, think about like if if you were to uh, pirate a game back then, it probably cost you more for the you know the floppy disk. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> mm-hmm. So maybe we should have a uh, budget game uh, 
score modifier where we automatically <laughs> add two points. Yeah, and the thing is, yeah. you know, a, a, a lot of a lot of the budget games as well. Like in the case of this, what they were going for was was almost like you call them budget games. A lot of them were budget versions of big games. You know, they were trying to, like in this case, mm. they were going for Commando. They in that kind of style, um, mm. but a, a budget version of Commando. You know, kind of. So it's that kind of, I suppose. It's it's like the twenty dollar Wii game versus the forty dollar brand named Wii game. Yeah, 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 kind of. Yeah, interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Game four review. Yeah, Time for Yogi Bear. Now, who does hey. the Yogi Bear impression? Hey, boo boo. Hey. hey, let's look for <laughs> some chicken and biscuits. <laughs> I don't know, Yogi. All right, sorry. <clears throat> I don't know, Yogi. Oh my god, <laughs> you are so much better than me yet. Okay, so so who can do the Yogi impersonation and read off the title? Oh, what what does it say? Yogi Bear and Friends in the Greed okay. Monster. Yogi Bear and Friends in the Greed Monster. Now you do it, Bill. <laughs> A Yogi Bear and Friends in the Greed Monster. Okay, pick the best one. <laughs> okay. All right, so, uh, Kieran, back to you. Editing you. nightmare. <laughs> yeah, send in your best Yogi impressions. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> we'll pick a winner. No, don't, please. We, no, we won't. Don't. Please don't. So, yeah, so Yogi Bear and Friends in the Greed Monster was done by High Tech Software. Um, High Tech were a company that, that popped up uh, literally just to make budget games. And the first thing they, they pretty much did when they arrived on the scene was they picked up the license for Hanna-Barbera. And it gave them the chance to basically make Hanna-Barbera games based on near enough every single um, property they'd ever made. And they really did milk their license they produced games for just about every Hanna-Barbera character you can possibly think of except for the Flintstones and Scooby-Doo because they were the licenses for those were owned by somebody else I guess that's because they were the two biggest um, things that they had so they never did games on either of them but just about everyone else they did and Yogi Bear they did a few games on Yogi Bear obviously one of the more famous uh, characters that they had the rights to they didn't release many um, Atari 8-bit games. Most of their games were focused on um, the Spectrum, Amstrad, and Commodore 64 over here. They did both the, the two Yogi Bear games for the, the Atari, and I think they did Rough and Ready. I think that was. I think that might have actually been it. I think that might have been the only ones they did. I know they did announce a few others at Hong Kong Fui, um, but the Atari 8-bit version never came out. Um, but in this game, it's basically an arcade adventure programmed by Russell Knight with graphics by Richard Morton. Um, it was Panel Developments with the company who did it. Panel Developments actually did a, a lot of high-tech stuff. And if I remember correctly, I think Panel Developments were actually the parent company of high-tech, if I remember correctly. Um, so they were basically one in the same company. So in this game, uh, all the toys in the world have been stolen by the greed monster. So Top Cat has sent Yogi's treasure hunters to find them all. Again, a great sign of their high tech trying to milk their license for everything it's worth by shoehorning in other characters who really had nothing to do with Yogi Bear. Problem is, all the hunters have been captured by the monster except Yogi. So it's up to Yogi to find all these friends and the toys. The game is a flick screen maze adventure viewed from a high elevated angle as you control Yogi. You have to search the surrounding areas looking for your friends, Hong Kong Fui, Rough, Ready, et al. And toys while avoiding or shooting various creatures. You are armed with sweets to shoot the creatures, but these are limited. 
If you're touched by a creature or certain obstacles and you lose part of the food gauge, and when this is empty, it's game over. As well as the toys and your friends, there are other items to be collected, such as keys. It says coloured keys here, but in the um, this version, I seem to remember the keys are numbered, and they open to open the doors. Cans of pop, which double your speed. I assume that's Red Bull or something that uh, gives you a caffeine hit. Extra sweets and jars of honey to make you invincible for a limited period. Bubble gum has to be avoided as these will stick you to the spot for a limited time, which is really annoying. As I said, we said it was um, all in a lot of other systems. It was on the Spectrum, Amstrad CPC, Commodore 64, Amstrad, Amiga and Atari ST. And uh, it was part of, a, obviously, a big series of Hanna-Barbera games. And uh, there's uh, quite a few reviews for it um, you will find online for other versions. I didn't find any reviews for the Atari version, but the Spectrum version got quite mixed reviews. Some scores were high, some scores were low. Generally, the Amstrad CPC version was very well received, though, and it's a very colourful version. So, uh, yeah, so the graphics, I gave them a five. Um, Yogi looks really good, but... Apart from that, the colours choices are quite strange. They seem to use a lot of turquoise, which I thought was an incredibly strange colour to have chosen uh, for landscape when they could have used something like green. Um, I just don't know why they thought turquoise was good. And uh, the flick screen scrolling is annoying, but um, it was originally, I think the first version that came out was for the Spectrum, and the Spectrum wasn't very good at scrolling, so they often went for flick screen um, on that system, so I'm guessing that they were just porting from the source material. Sound effects and music, pretty poor in that department all around. There's, there's very basic um, of each. Again, that's, that, that screams that they were porting from a Spectrum version because uh, if they, the Spectrum, the 48K machines at least, had very, very basic sound capabilities. Gameplay and playability, um, a bit better here. I gave it an 8. Um, there's loads to explore. And it's a mapper's dream. If you were one of those kids who, who like to sit down with graph paper and map out every game you played, then this is exactly the kind of game you want to play. Those kids exist. <laughs> they I, did back was, in the day, yeah. I was, I was not one of those kids. <laughs> no, I, I, I knew people who were. I remember very well. Friends you know what nick, already? Nicking graph paper from school to take home to draw maps. I spent hours with Ultima 3 in the, ma- in the uh, dungeons with the graph paper. I mean, there you, go. you were that kid. <laughs> I was that kid. I, I, I played alternate reality, and I just plowed and like, I'm just going to go this direction now. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> controls, um, everything works as it should. Um, I've got no complaints there. Uh, the controls work really well. Um, there's not a lot to it, really. Just move in directions and press fire to throw sweets. Uh, replayability, I gave it a 7 because it's going to be quite a while before you finish it because the only way you are going to finish it is if you either find a map online or map it out because there's so much to remember like where the keys are and things like that. So overall, I think it averaged about 6.5 out of 10, which I'd say is about about fair probably. Um, if you like kind of adventure games, then you know, you're, you're, you're going to enjoy it. If you don't, then you're probably going to get annoyed with it quite quickly. David? Okay, so... Uh... As for graphics, I thought the main character looks pretty good, but the rest of the baddies are pretty much unicolor, and they're smaller in size. Uh, But the pickups are colorful. Sound effects and music, I gave it a three. Not too much here to praise. Very basic sound effects. Gameplay and playability, I gave it a six. Lots to explore, but the dreaded respawning is annoying. And how the heck do balloons hurt you? Controls. Controls are good and responsive. 
Uh, replayability, I gave it a 5. This gets a 5 because this is like one of those games that takes a while to complete. And once you've finished it and going through that whole grueling mapping things out and graph paper and all that stuff and you finally get to the end, I don't know if you have it in you to go for one more round. So I gave it a 5. So my final score is 5.6 out of 10. Michael. Well, um, I gave this game, uh, the graphics, a six. I thought, you know, the main character definitely looked like Yogi. Um, and, of course, I agree with you guys. The choice of that turquoise or blue or whatever it is is just terrible. I mean, I've looked at other versions of it, and they all use green, and I don't understand what they did there. Um, if you don't have the manual, some of the stuff doesn't even look like what it is. So, you know, like I said, the balloon sort of looks like a balloon. And I hate to say this, uh, the C64 version looks so much better. It's just amazing how much better it looks. I wish the Atari version would would have lived up to it. Sound effects and music, I gave it a 6. I mean, some sounds are better than others. You pick it up, the item's kind of a cool sound, but the buzzing sound when you get his is a little annoying. I didn't hear any music, so there's that. Um, gameplay and playability, I give it a 7, actually. I like adventure games. Um, some of the things that annoyed me were the places enemies uh, you, that you can't get by. I guess you have to have a piece of candy to stop them, but uh, I hate when you just can't use your own skill to get by somebody. You have to use a you know a gimmick or something to get to pick up. Placements, you said the flick straight screen thing. I found that some things, if you flick screen to the wrong place, you get hit immediately. That is yep. bad game design. Yep. <laughs> Yep. Big map, and I again, I'm the guy with the graph paper. But I, the first thing I actually did was go out and find somebody who actually mapped out the whole entire thing, and I went through <laughs> and figured out where all the places were on the map that you had to get the keys, and then put icons by them. So I'm going to finish this game. I ran out of time by this podcast, but I'm going to finish this game because I I did enjoy it. Controls were you know seven. You moved around, it, no real issues. I pushed the button to fire the candy. It worked. Um, I didn't see any real limitations. Uh, replayability, I gave it a five. I mean, it's a puzzle. You, it doesn't. There's nothing's randomized. It's a large map, but pretty much when you finish it, you're done. And I don't really see that you would probably play it that much more from that point on. So I ended up giving it a, a six point two, or essentially it's rounded down to a six out of ten. Bill. All right. Oh boy, cassettes. Um, I stopped using cassettes literally thirty years ago, so I had to. Uh, <laughs> I used Atari eight hundred on my Linux laptop, so I had to figure out like, well, how do I make it? How do I load the cassette and make it actually run? Yeah. So it was. Uh, I think it was dash boot tape, and then the file name. So yeah, looking around, I noticed the Commodore sixty four got a really nice looking title screen, and the Atari gets a nice graphic zero white on black text thing. Uh, that yeah. was kind of ugly. Um, but whatever. That's that's not the game. I can't. Can't rip, rip on that too much. Um, ratings, uh, graphics. I give it a seven. Uh, it's not a ton of colors, but I thought the the color palette was kind of whimsical. Like he's like in some kind of <laughs> Candyville or Toyland or something. I thought I thought it was an interesting choice because a lot of the games you end up with like brown and green and more brown and green and it kind of looks like dirt all the time. Um, Sound effects and music. Uh, too bad there was no music. Um, and I found the the bleeps and bloops interesting. They were, say, way better than Choplifter or, uh, in my opinion, uh, LA SWAT. So, bloop. Um, gameplay and playability. Uh, constantly hitting the bad guys. The game area was kind of cramped. I wish there was more room before it flicked to the next screen. And I was always surprised, like Michael, walking onto a new screen and starting to die immediately. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't see that. Didn't seem fair at all. Um, Controls eight, uh, typical has the typical problem of you can walk in front of but but not behind the building. 
um, kind of like the original Zelda. And replayability, I didn't have a manual, so I didn't know what a lot of the unidentifiable blobs were on the screen or why I would get stuck. I guess that's gum that I didn't know about. So I'm giving it a TBD, to be determined, uh, for replayability. I don't know if I'm ever going to go back and give you guys a score, but um, for the remainder out out of the rest of them, uh, it's an average of about a six and a half, six point six and three quarters, I guess. So that's it for me. Very good. Awesome. So we did get some feedback, and thank you, everybody, for submitting your feedback. It helps us, and we appreciate it. So the first uh, user feedback was from uh, Earl Gray III, and he says, Hey, guys, just caught up on episodes one and two and wanted to say keep up the excellent work. I recently bought a little under two dozen Atari 8-bit and Zegs carts from a local retro store trying to get rid of their older computer software. So I'm looking forward to exploring the games as the podcast progresses. Wow, I wonder if you got any of these ones that are coming up like $100 on eBay. <laughs> well, probably, probably not. <laughs> well, emulation, emulation, emulation. Yeah. Uh, then um, Darren uh, also goes by nickname Daz, Darren Borg. He left us some feedback. He said, episode one, done and dusted. Loved it. Uh, Darren does the Retro Domination and the Press Play on Tape podcast, both interesting and enjoyable. If you're into retro and especially uh, live down under, uh, give his podcast a listen. And we had also feedback from the real Bounty Bob. Okay, can I interrupt for a sec? Yes. Um, When he said episode one, did he mean episode one or our first episode, episode zero? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) All right, sorry. We've confused him. Yes, the coders have confused everybody. Anyway, the real Bounty Bob, he left us some feedback as well, and he said episode two was very enjoyable. I like the different opinions on the same games, ignoring the low scorer of Blue Max with a smiley face. Uh, The comparative reviews are a nice way to think about the games that might inspire someone to create a hybrid, he hopes. Uh, The budget games segment is good, as they are perhaps less well-known outside the UK. On the superb BMX uh, simulator, you might not know, but you can play uh, one player using either racer, which is neat. There's two different racers. You can race, you race against a computer or another player. So I think what he's saying is you can control the first racer or the second racer. You have the cool. choice. Thank you, Kieran, our resident expert. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for this episode. Uh, Next episode, we will review some classic arcade ports you can play on your XCGS. Um, Pac-Man Arcade by Harry Thwente, a.k.a. TEP392. That's his 2012 hack of Atari's 1983 release of Miss Pac-Man for the Atari 8-bits. And Donkey Kong. Um, Karen will also review the XE uh, budget game's Warhawk, a classic shooter with unbelievable music by Rob Hubbard. And 180, another title from the Kings of uh, King of Budget Games, Mastertronic, this time based on the pub game of darts. As usual, we welcome your feedback, both on the podcast itself and on the games we will be reviewing in our upcoming episode or things we've already reviewed in our previous episodes. Did you play them back then? Did you buy them recently? What are your thoughts, feelings, and stories about these games? You can find us online at xegs8bit.com, twitter.com slash xegs8bitpodcast, and facebook.com slash Atari XEGS dot and dot 8 bit dot game dot podcast. Also known as look, look at our website and click the Facebook icon. 
Uh, special thanks. Uh, thanks again to Compute Her for giving us permission to use her song software as our show's theme song. Visit ComputeHer.com. That's ComputeHer, H-E-R.com, for more info. Also, thanks to the folks who contribute to and maintain the Atari Mania database, Wikipedia, and other fine results of my Google searching. Um, <clears throat> we're now a part of the Throwback Network. A group of podcasts is one thing in common. We all love old things, whether it's old video games, old movies, old toys, or simply old stories. Throwback Network is the place to find them all. Visit throwbacknetwork.net to learn more. That's it, and see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Sorry, <laughs> excuse me, I cleared my throat. Anyway, it is not an Apple podcast, so uh, yes. I don't I've have that three, much news. By the way. Hmm? Sorry, I've got, that? I've got three, by the way. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. It's okay. It's okay. We all love we all love vintage computing. It, they're all good. Yep. guys. Yep. Some somebody's banging around. Somebody just had a heart attack. <laughs> What's that? Who's that? Sorry, that was my cat. <laughs> He's not part of Okay. I was trying to get rid of him, and Five I tried and tried and tried, and um, I'm just going to shut him out of the room, so give me a moment. No problem. All right, so this is a... This is, this is a blooper right there, right? That's another <laughs> blooper, that's for sure. Should I, I have... <clears throat> Somebody's clicking. Who's clicking? Is it the cat? Darn those cats. Nobody's fessing up. That darn cat. <laughs> Who remembers that, that movie? Anyway, <laughs> it's not me. It's not me. I'm not moving. Can't be me because I'm I'm holding like my breath. <clears throat> uh, replayability. Hold on, let me clear my throat, guys. <clears throat> I'm allergic to cats. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> okay. That's fine. Can you hear that? Yes, that's your wife calling? No, that's that's <laughs> Choplifter! Oh. What? Oh, oh, I'm here, I'm here, I'm trying to stay awake. Oh, okay, oh, okay. sorry. Okay, okay. <laughs> is it, right, is the podcast that bad? <laughs> oh! Well, it's, it's just, it's half yeah, it past does. four and it's just getting yeah, light, yeah. so. Okay, good excuse. Oh, Woohoo, we're oh, good. Yay! Excellent, I can go to bed. Your bed is away. Good night. Past five. It's, oh my god, it's complete night. daylight uh, here. Thanks it's for staying up. Oh my yeah. god, how about, how about this is an editing it? nightmare. <laughs> <laughs>